Before we start the show, we have a little uh, word of warning. This is for uh, you know those of you that, that uh, use the internet. Specifically, Bitly. That's the site that you use to shorten URLs. Yeah, basically it takes a long link, turns it into a smaller kind of random jumble of letters. Our colleague Avi at NPR and DC uh, maintained some Twitter feeds there, and he was about to send out a Bitly link to a news story when he noticed something strange. The word that it generated sort of jumped out at me. What, and what and did it's it say? The F word. <laughs> and I thought maybe even algorithms have a bad day, yeah. and they curse. <laughs> well, so what? What exactly does it say? Like, what's the Bitly link there? Um, so the the first part, which is true to all the uh, shorteners, because we're NPR, it, it shortens it to n dot pr, a forward slash, the number one, the letter u, and then there's there wow. it is. <laughs> That's fantastic. So normally you just you just hit tweet and and uh, but I for some reason this sort of jumped out at me and I decided not to do that. <laughs> but think about that, Avi. What a great story. Not everyone's going to recognize that that's like a shortened bit.ly link. They may think that that's just a story from NPR. Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking about, about other instances where, you know, humans and machines interact. And, you know, there's the, the CAPTCHA system, which is where you have to, you go to a website and you, before you can register, you have to type in numbers that are displayed to you to prove that you're human. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, who is proving what to whom in this case. Was this a test to see whether <laughs> the person using the Bitly system was human? Well, thanks for talking to us about this, Avi. Sure. And I'll, I'll send you any other curse words I run across on the internet. Yeah, please do. <laughs> you know, you think about this. This is something that humans still do better than machines. We, we never, when we're trying to summarize something, we never accidentally drop an F-bomb. Yeah, you wonder, you wonder what that would be like. Is NBC Nightly News with Brian Williams. Good evening. It appears likely now the first time in 17 years. And that's where we are. Live pictures tonight show both ends of This is How to Do Everything. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. And uh, yesterday at the office, uh, some people, Mike included, were talking about, I guess, the most recent Game of Thrones. I've read all the books. Talking about talking about the TV show, right? I only just started watching it, and I was about to say, "Hey, guys, keep it quiet, no spoilers." When really, I realized I'm so far behind. It it's my it's my fault. So what we want to do here is establish an official length of time after which you can't expect people not to talk about these shows. Vince Gilligan created Breaking Bad. He's online with us now. We should say uh, there will probably be Breaking Bad spoilers in here. So, Vince, uh, do you think this makes sense? <laughs> yes, I think you're right. We, yeah, there needs to be there. We need, there needs to be an agreed upon, uh, you know, by some international uh, governing board of, of metrics and weights and measures. There has to be. You're right. Like uh, there has to be some agreed upon statute of limitations. Let's let we will let you be the the final arbiter of this number. I think if you establish it, all of us that watch television forever can abide by. The, uh, the length of time you decide. Oh, man, that is a whole lot of pressure. Gosh, what would it be? Well, you know, it's, 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 I gotta be, uh, I guess I've gotta be kind of brutal here and say, uh, it should probably be about a week. I oh, mean, oh. Yeah. Really? <laughs> that's, that's pretty tough. 
because you got to balance uh, people's right to talk about a uh, show with one another. You know, we run into it all the time in the writers' room. We say to each other, uh, you know, hey, did you see uh, Game of Thrones last night? Or are you up to date on House of Cards? Yeah. Or whatnot. And then there's always somebody in the room saying, no, no, I'm behind. Don't say anything. So everyone else has to kind of pussyfoot around. But, you know, at a certain point, well, maybe a week is too soon. You know, I, I, I got to say, though, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying any, any more than, like, two weeks. Okay. Because it's like maybe 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 two weeks is like the really sort of gener- generous uh, kind of outside number I think I'd have to give. We'll, we'll make it official, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but there's nothing stopping you, by the way, from uh, if you're hanging out with some friends and they start talking about, you know, Game of Thrones or True Detective or, or Mad Men or, or, or Good Wife or whatnot, there, there's nothing stopping you from saying whoops and, and do and, and given the universal uh sign language uh, symbol of, of putting your hands over your ears but then it's in, then it's uh it's it's only good manners for you to walk away as uh as as breaking bad was was wrapping up did the people in your life the people you're close to that you you weren't working with did they all know uh what was going to happen or or were you keeping it tight uh like my girlfriend, uh, for instance, she read the script uh, before it gets shot and stuff like that. But but some people didn't want to know. For instance, Brian Cranston, of all people, uh, he didn't want to know. And a lot of people in my life didn't want to know. So it was an interesting phenomenon in that final season of, of Breaking Bad that whereas uh, seasons before, I'd run into people and they'd say, ah, what's going to happen? You can tell me. Just give me a little hint. Just give me a little hint. I promise I won't tell anybody. It went from being that to in the final season of Breaking Bad, I, I I don't remember anyone wanting a hint. <laughs> Everyone I ran into would make the joke. They would say, "Hey, you gonna tell me what happens?" And then as soon as I would open my mouth to, you know, to make a joke in return, they wouldn't even let me speak. They would say, "I don't want to know. Wow. I don't want to know." So it was <laughs> it was a very interesting phenomenon that final season but it's so interesting like the way we kind of digest tv now like there are certain shows and breaking bad is, is definitely one of them where the show will air and then the that the week afterwards people will spend kind of taking it apart and looking for symbols and hints of things to come did you did you ever like you know layer in any hints and and subtle clues we did indeed in season two there was a really fun series of clues laid in uh, that, if, if properly deduced, would give away the ending of the season. This was a season that started off in black and white yeah. with uh, uh, this what looks like there's been a meth lab explosion or some horrible violence at the White House, and there's nobody in sight, and there's, a, there's wreckage uh, laying around, and there's a, there's, a teddy, there's a pink teddy bear floating in the White's pool. Yeah. So those, those, we, we continued that string of teasers, that, that the first opening couple of minutes of each episode. We, we did four of them throughout the 13-episode season. And they, would, you know, they were always in black and white, and they always furthered the, uh, visually furthered the story of, you know, what, what is, why is this burned-up teddy bear in this pool? And if you looked very closely, if you, if, you, if you looked on the Internet or looked in your TV guide or whatever, and you, you, you correlated those episodes with those black-and-white teddy bear teasers to the titles of those episodes... The titles laid out as uh, it, the first one was called uh, 737, and the second one with the teddy bear a few episodes later was called Down, 
and you know several episodes later the third one was called over and then the fourth uh, one which is the last episode of the season was called abq so wow. you string them together seven three seven thirty seven down over abq albuquerque which wow. gave away the uh purposely if you if you found it gave away what what the big secret was of the of the season I have, I have a question uh, about uh, the end of a show. So you watch a show, and at the end of the episode, they'll be like, uh, stay tuned for scenes from, the, from next week's uh, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and, or for Mad Men, which is what I'm watching now. And I watch that, and I think, I don't get it, because I watch that, and I, have, it, I learn nothing about the next week's episode, and it all seems right. to be, it seems like a trick. It's like a trick on me, the viewer. Yeah. It's, every showrunner has a slightly different threshold or tolerance level for how much they want to give away. Uh, I had a much higher threshold myself in the early days of Breaking Bad. I'd, 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 I'd say to the folks who, who edit the trailers for the next week, the previews, I'd say, yeah, put in all the good stuff. I, I just I just want people watching. We got barely any viewers as it is. Let's let's give them some sexy stuff, and you know, uh, so to speak, and let's get them watching next week. As the show became more popular, I would say, especially as the seasons went by, I would say, ooh, I think we're giving away too much here. Why don't we cut this shot? Why don't we cut that shot? So it's a tricky tightrope walk. Well, as as a TV guy, do you watch shows and and watch those those trailers and and. Can you kind of suss out what's happening, or are you also just baffled like everybody else? Uh, I'm, the older I get, the lazier I get. I just want to be taken along for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to steer it myself. So sure. I do that all day long. I, I'm the worst kind of. I'm the kind of TV viewer. I, I personally am not looking to garner on my shows. I, I like to reward people for active viewing. Yeah. For, for thinking hard about it and trying to piece clues together and, and paying close attention. I, I, as best I can as a writer, I want to reward that kind of viewing, which is very hypocritical of me because when I get home, I sit there like the ultimate couch potato with my thumb on the <laughs> remote just surfing through. And yet, you know, I don't want those kind of viewers for my show. It's very hypocritical of me. Well, Vince, uh, this has been really great. Thanks so much. Well, thanks, guys. Good talking to you. So we have established officially... This is the Gilligan Rule. After two weeks post-broadcast of any given show, it is your responsibility, not the responsibility of others, to avoid spoilers. Hey, Ian, what can we help you with? I was wondering why it seems that everyone can appreciate or at the very least tolerate their own flatulence. But anyone else's is just anathema. It's no good. Mm. I I think I'm going to need to know the the moment uh, that this question occurred to you. This question, I think it's been bubbling in my mind Ooh. for years, but it was recently when sort of I was with my kids, and one of them produced this event, <laughs> so to speak, and the rest of us were, oh, that's horrible, and, and they would just sort of sit there and laugh. And then later, when someone else did the same thing, they would basically smirk and smile and not really be affected. But everyone else was horrified. And I remembered, wait, I guess the same thing happens with me, too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think he, uh, it's the same instrument producing both uh, the sound and smell, but the variety it's able to produce, that's remarkable. Oh, it, it's, it's near infinite, as I guess. 
Yeah. I've had my theories about this. I was always wondering if it was some sort of, like, holdover from uh, primordial territory marking or something, or some genetic marker, like, hmm, that's me, that's okay, but I have no idea. And you would think that, you know, if there was some kind of selective advantage to it, that you would also be fine with uh, your close families. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but you're you're saying you're definitely not. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to try and figure this out for you. I look forward to an answer because it's, it's, it's been on my mind for, for quite some time. You know who should help us with this? Mary Roach. Yeah, she wrote uh, Gulp, uh, which is about the alimentary canal. And I guess we should say we have a, a rule on the show. Listener Carrie said to warn you guys whenever we're about to talk about something gross that uh, is now in effect. So, Mary, what do you think? Why might our own farts be more tolerable than the farts of others? Yeah, this is a weird... What puzzles me is the, the why you can tolerate your own. I can, Because the, the thing with, with fart odor is it, it's... Uh, the main culprit is uh, hydrogen sulfide and related compounds. But hydrogen sulfide, and it's a tiny percentage of a of a fart. I mean, farts are mostly hydrogen and methane, okay. which is odorless. Uh, the hydrogen sulfide is tiny. You can, and, but humans, because it it's a very dangerous gas, we can detect it at like two or three parts per million. So, uh, and at about a thousand parts per million, it's a lethal gas. So it makes sense that we don't like this, that we evolved as creatures that don't like to be around this particular smell because it's a very dangerous gas. But huh. what I, what I, uh, uh, and the, the part that is a bit of a mystery to me is why we kind of secretly like our own. I wonder, I wonder if it's like tickling in a way, like you can't tickle yourself because you can't truly surprise yourself. That seems like a good analogy, but then, you know, evolutionary biology, I guess you, you, Somebody could speculate that, you know, in terms of feces, that pathog- there might be pathogens in someone else's that could be dangerous to us, whereas if it came from us, we know we're, we're okay with it. So you said, uh, sorry, the, the compound that... that uh, Hydrogen sulfide. So, and you said how many parts per million in a typical fart? Well, we, we, the, at two to three parts per million, you can smell it. So, you know, five, I, I, you know, I don't know how high it gets up to... Yeah. Um, if it gets up to a thousand, you're putting yourself in grave danger. So, so it sounds like it it would be possible for a human being to create a truly deadly fart. Well, I I asked about this. It, you know, like so it's cold. Sometimes I in winter I will pull the covers up over my head, and I wondered, can it actually get up to a lethal level in a Dutch oven under the covers? sort of situation, and I was assured that, no, the concentration would not be anywhere near. Okay. Uh, so don't, don't worry about that. Well, one more thing on the subject. There is, there is the phenomenon that uh, it seems that uh, farts that make a sound are less uh, offensive. Uh, they don't smell as bad. They don't smell as bad <laughs> as yeah. uh, the silent ones. Um, is there any scientific reason for this? I asked this question, actually, of Alan Kligerman, the man at the, the Beano, the company that made Beano back then. And he said that, uh, he said, yeah, you have, uh, imagine you have this amount of, say, hydrogen sulfide and a couple of the other 
smell-producing compounds. You have a set amount. If you just let it sneak out kind of quietly without a lot of gust behind it, without a lot of wind behind it, it's going to remain in this little, he said, he actually used the word to be like a weather front. <laughs> kind of, it wouldn't be, you know, blasted out and, and then diluted with air. Uh, it would remain as an intact and potent little weather front that would then move up and hit your nose. To make Wait, so like the, the force of the blast, yeah, that loud right. brap sound, yeah. that yeah. diminishes the smell. Of course, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna disperse it, spread it widely. It's gonna be diluted with air. So when it reaches your nose, it's gonna be in a much lower concentration. So, so when you know when uh, our loved ones. Uh, make make that sound rather than being offended we should we should be thanking them for that tiny act of mercy absolutely yes you got it well so and maybe mary maybe you don't know the answer to this but is it possible that that if you can tolerate another person's fart you can then have a a relationship with them that it could help with breeding or something oh perhaps our own our fates are in the hands of our intestinal flora there was There's this paper in the 60s. Someone actually suggested that astronauts be chosen according to their intestinal flora, their bacteria, not only because of, not just for odor, that was part part of it, but also uh, because hydrogen and methane, which are the major constituents, are uh, uh, combustible, and it's a sealed environment. But they did say also those who uh, produce um, less objectionable trace gases, that the, the ones that cause the odor, that it was actually, this should be, they were putting forth that that should be part of the NASA's astronaut crew selection criteria. What a Which, weird what? exam that, that would have been. <laughs> yeah. One last question. How do your farts smell? No, that wasn't a question for you, Mike, was imitating <laughs> the, the NASA uh, exam. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. In case I, that wasn't clear. <laughs> Sorry. As a gotcha moment. No, it wasn't. I was considering my answer very carefully. Well, this has been uh, really educational. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> hey, no problem. Anytime. You know, in any question you have, uh, it doesn't have to be about, you know, stuff coming out of your body. Uh, we, we will help you with. Maybe you have something that's going into your body that you want to know about. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. We heard from Daryl. Daryl says he listens to How to Do Everything while playing first-person shooters on his laptop. Hey, Daryl, these next 15 seconds are for you. A young cowboy named Billy Joe grew restless on the farm. You know, you never never hear about people playing second-person shooters. Yeah, I mean, you think about the guy who who invented the, the gun, you know? What, what, what do we call this? Well, it's a person shooter. It's the first person shooter ever made. Well, I'll call that the primary person shooter. That's not right. Don't take your guns to town. He laughed and kissed his mom and said you You may remember a few weeks ago on our show, we asked you to try and guess what the people we were talking to looked like uh, draw them and send them in uh, as kind of a contest. And joining us here in studio now is our art critic, intern Seth Kelly. Hey guys. T- I guess tell us about our winner. Yeah, definitely. So let's start with the winner. 
Um, and the winner okay. of this competition is Glenn. Good job, Glenn. Uh, probably going to need to describe what Glenn's picture looks like oh, yeah. for our audio it's okay. audience. Oh, okay. Um, so Glenn drew Dr. Joe Moskal, who, if you remember, was the guy who was tickling the rats. Yeah. Um, Glenn ended up drawing a beautiful picture. Um, and my only hesitation in picking this is that when I looked at Glenn's picture and then I looked at what Dr. Joe Moskal actually looks like in real life, um, it was almost, it was like eerily similar to the fact that I think that Glenn maybe could have been cheating. So it sounds like your analysis of Glenn is that he's uh, artistically talented, ethically vacant. Yes, he's probably a liar, but very talented. Just morally bankrupt. Yes. Well, good job, Glenn. We'll be sending you a T-shirt. Okay, uh, do you have any other winners or losers for us? Oh, yeah. So um, Naomi. And what did Naomi draw? Um, Naomi also drew Dr. Joe Moskal, um, but Naomi um, got it completely wrong. (laughs) Well, she just didn't know. It's not even close. Well, I'm looking at it. I can see she uh, she wrote on it, too. What do, What's that say there? Oh, yeah. So she sort of annotated her picture so that we would know that she drew um, frosted blonde tips on his hair, crazy brown eyes, even though she used a green marker. And then she wrote, note to the person I'm drawing. I'm sure you're very nice. I, I have to say, looking at this one, there's uh, kind of almost a childlike quality or maybe uh, a folk art. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, I never even thought about that. Naomi could very well just be a child. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, no matter how old you are, Naomi, congratulations. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? Do you think that when Vince Gilligan first started working in TV that his name kind of worked against him? Yeah, they thought he was going to make, like, sort of a goofy comedy yeah skipper jesse skyler how to do everything is produced by steven tobias spoiler alert our intern is seth kelly special thanks this week to justin witty our artist in residence get us your questions at howto at npr.org and visit our website howtodoeverything.org i'm mike danforth and i'm ian chillog This is NPR.